All right, well, I'm going to get started just because I know 30 minutes is not enough time, and some of you think I already talk way too fast anyway, so I certainly apologize for that. I, th I think I told you last week someone came up to me and after the first week and said, you're definitely not from the South because you talk too fast, so <laughs> I apologize for that. But so much information to, to share, and just we are excited about this information. So I want to start off today by telling you uh, about two interactions I had. This was uh, last semester uh, on, the on the campus over at the University of Utah. So Shreeman, I don't know, Shreeman here, if he's not, publicly shame him later. Uh, but Shreeman and I, one of our students at the University of Utah, we were meeting with another student who uh, is uh, an atheist, uh, has lots of questions uh, about the truth claims of Christianity, but was coming to our meetings, and he wanted to talk about some specific things. And so we met with him, and it was just, it was about an hour, but it was just a really good conversation. Uh, I was asking him lots of questions. Uh, he was saying things like there's no evidence for Christianity, and I was asking him what he meant by that, and how he came to the conclusion there was no evidence for Christianity. I was asking him what he believed and then how he came to the conclusions uh, for the things that he believed. Could he give reasons and evidence for his position? Uh, one of the things, we, we're on, on the college campus, we, we say the only things we want to talk about are the things we're not allowed to talk about on college campuses, which is politics, religion, and morality. Those are the only things that we want to talk about. So we actually talked a lot about abortion. We had had that conversation with our Rosho Christie students before. He had a lot of questions about that. And same thing. What do you, you know, we were talking about the question about, you know, fetus and human, and what do you mean by that, and how have you come to the conclusion that uh, the fetus is not a human person? And so the whole point, it was just, it was a, a challenging and yet very, I would argue, worthwhile and encouraging conversation. He left that conversation saying this was great. Uh, you've given me some things to think about, and he wanted to learn more. He actually continued to come to our meetings. I didn't scare him off. So I want to compare that conversation with then immediately after that we were leaving and uh, we, we were, I was actually headed to, the, uh, to my car and this guy came up to me and he said, would you, do you, want, would you want to come to a meeting to learn about Heavenly Mother? And I was like, I've, what are you talking about? And they were, it was a presentation from a group that was on campus. Now they'd been on college campuses before. Um, you may have encountered them there in Target if you ever go to Target, but it's, but it's a cult um, that uh, argues these things. I, I had a little bit of interaction with them before, but not tons. So I went to their meeting. I could tell immediately I was on edge. My, do you remember the stream? They're streaming. You're late, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, I was uh, nervous. My, my heart was racing. I went in the meeting. I wasn't prepared. They started to give a presentation. They start going through Genesis 1, let, uh, and he says, let us make a man in our image. See, this means heavenly mother and heavenly father. I raised my hand. No questions. I was irritated by that, right? So I started talking to the people beside me. They continued to, to say a couple other things, use a couple other verses out of context. I'm getting more frustrated. Uh, I also noticed there was an atheist student who's been coming to our meetings. He's in the front. So now here I'm thinking, all these things that we've been wrestling for the past six weeks now is going to be undone tonight. And then they immediately stopped the conversation, and they were, I noticed they were doing cultic things. And I don't mean this, again, if you're part of that group and you're here, awesome, thank you for coming. But um, people that were already a part of and believed those things, when they were hearing things from the front, were going, ooh, interesting, never thought about that, even though they knew that, because it's just kind of a way to get people to think the way that you think. So the, it, the presentation ends, and now they put us in a small group, and my demeanor is not one of asking questions. It's attacking. It's 
frustrated, we start going back and forth, we start, call it, you know, we call it theological ping pong, we're arguing with each other back and forth. He tells me, I can tell by your demeanor that you're not very interested in the conversation. I was like, well, I can tell by yours, you're not either, right? So we're, it's not going well, and then they ask me to leave, and I'm like, I don't want to leave, I'm in the middle of a conversation, and I notice my student up there. So then they basically are trying to, you know, they're almost forcefully getting me to leave, and I stand up and I just start talking to the whole group, and I said, just want you to know that what's being said here tonight is blasphemy, and if you have any questions about any of this and you want to talk to me, come and let's talk afterwards. No one did. <laughs> and then, they, and then their, their handler came over and he talked to me. Actually, him and I ended up having like a 30-minute conversation. But the point is, compare those two conversations. Do you think that I left that second meeting with people going, I really need to think more about the truth claims of Christianity? Do you think that my demeanor and the way I handle myself, do you think that encouraged them to want to have more conversations? I think clearly the answer is no. When you compare that with the first conversation where I was asking questions, I was concerned for him, I was listening to him, and those were a good conversation. He continued to come to our meetings all of last semester. And so that's what I want to talk about with you today. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, our family has actually moved to uh, Springville down to Utah County because we really, just um, like Luke was saying today, we feel that God is calling us to ministry in Utah County. We, we started a Rosho Christi chapter at the university, uh, at Utah Valley University. We want to see a church plant. We want to see a Christian study center uh, in Provo and in Orem as a way to reach, you know, 70,000 college students. And so God has called us to those things. And so again, some of you... Um, indicated last week that you would be willing to let me uh, sit down with you, buy you a cup of coffee, and, and give you, share with you the vision we have for ministry down in Utah County. Again, that offer is still available. I, I've reached out to some of you, but I'll, I'll call you probably this week. And if just letting me have the conversation, I'll give you this book. It's called Engaging with Mormons that was written by the president of Rosho Christi, Corey Miller, who came out of Mormonism. And so we'd love to share with you. Maybe that would even mean some of you wanting to move down to Utah County with us to do ministry and start a church. And so I'm already behind. So again, like it's like I feel the pressure it's only 30 minutes so I'm, I'm going to skip through the review uh, I encourage you to check out the things that we talked about um, last week sorry um, but the the question that I left you with last week was to have a conversation so without publicly shaming anybody how many of you had a conversation with somebody of a different faith yeah that's awesome right the rest of you get a chance this week, so don't feel, you know, don't feel discouraged. Um, but we encourage you to think about what we talked about last week, you know, trying to figure out levels of where people were and then what were conversations that were appropriate to those. And so how did they go? Were you frustrated? Were you, were you, was it more like the second conversation earlier or was it like the first conversation for me? Was it contentious? Did you get nervous? Did you think, would you call it productive or unproductive? Um, were you just trying to win an argument? And I think even more, like, if you had no further training, would you be more likely or less likely to do it again? A lot of people say, I've tried that. It didn't really work that well. Well, what I want to show you today is I want to give you some tools in how to have those conversations so that they can be productive, so they can be like conversation one, what I was telling you about earlier, and not like conversation two. And so to do that, again, every, every week we're, we're encouraging with resources. This is the book that basically everything I want to share with you today comes from. It's called Tactics 
by a guy named Greg Kokel. We think this is, should be required reading for all Christians. Uh, it's just an incredible book. It, there's, nothing, there's no rocket science in it, but it's just how do I have these conversations? And it's doing that by asking questions. And so we're going to encourage you to read the book Tactics. But the other thing that you're going to see today is, especially if you get to the level, the third uh, question that we're going to talk about, it means you have some knowledge. And so for some of you, that means maybe reading a systematic theology. Now, I picked Wayne Grudem's. This is the second edition of systematic theology. Uh, maybe that means you, you read a systematic theology. Maybe it means you get the ESV study Bible or some study Bible, and you just start thinking a little bit deeper about the truth claims of Christianity so that you have something to offer when they ask you questions. You're going to be doing a lot of asking them questions, but when they ask you questions, I want to be able to say something. And so I'm going to have to have some resources that equip me to be able to have those conversations. And these are just two of them that we recommend. Um, and then if you're interested in going deeper in getting some information about Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's a ministry that we recommend. It's called Mormonism Research Ministry. Um, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Bill McKeever is probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Photographic memory. He's like, you know, your, your 65, 70-year-old granddad who, if he was really brilliant and cool, because he also rides a motorcycle, so, you know, really cool. But he's written, they wrote Mormonism 101. Eric just came out with this book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. It's a great resource because so many of the times, we'll talk about that today, we always say, with the LDS, we're using the same lexicon, but a very different dictionary. Literally, every word that we use, they have a different meaning from it, so we're always talking past each other. This book is very helpful in that. And then if you want to go really deep, uh, Sandra Tanner, who her ministry here, Utah Lighthouse Ministries, and there's a bookstore that's over by the, the, um, the Bees uh, baseball stadium. It's actually, she's closing after just decades of ministry. They're closing this spring. But she was Brigham Young's great-great-granddaughter. Her, her and her late husband, Gerald Tanner, they're like the giants on whom everyone is standing on their shoulders in regards to ministry to the LDS. And so they've written this book, Mormonism, Shadow or Reality. If anybody saw, if you had, happened to see the, uh, the, the um, FX show uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, if you watched any of that, at the end when the detective is in his car, he pulls out the red book, this is that book. It's, it's Sandra Tanner's uh, book, and it's just, it's, it's not a, it's not a uh, fun read. It's not like a beach read. I mean, this is a resource text, but if you want to go deep on this stuff, then it's available to you. So this is their, you know, mrm.org. They have a podcast and all kinds of just great material, and then Sandra's uh, ministry is utlm.org. Now, just so you know, their website is straight out of like 1995. I mean, it's like, it's like it was done on the AOL.com account, so, um, but it's great information. So, Thinking back to those conversations, thinking back to your conversations if you had some, thinking back to my examples of the, the decent conversation and the not so decent. What we want to teach you today, what we want to talk about is tactics in these conversations. So Colossians 4, right? Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So we're... we're in these conversations, we want to be smart, we want to be nice, but we want to be tactical. We want to, we want to have a goal in every conversation. Now, now to just to start off, my goal in every conversation is just to get up to bat. Some of you wanted to have a conversation, probably had an opportunity to have a conversation, but you chickened out. That's fine. I've done that a thousand times. I mean, 
all the, on college campus, I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation. This, this, this just this week, this beautiful, really, you know, LDS couple, you know, so in love, you know, came up and they were talking to us at our table and I just was not wanting to challenge and then we ended up challenging a little bit and we ended up having an incredible conversation to the point where the guy left and came back 30 minutes later because he wanted to keep talking. But I, I was chicking it out at first. I didn't want to have the conversation. But the tactics we're going to talk about today will encourage you on how to do that. But I'm just challenging you this, just to get up to bat, just to have the conversation, just to try. And we're going to talk about next week why we think this is so important. Um, put it, we, when I'm in a conversation, I'm trying to do one thing, put a metaphorical stone in their shoe. I don't have to get to the gospel in every conversation. I want that person to walk away. Maybe, not, maybe they don't even audibly tell me that you know, I'm really thinking about this, but when they go home at night and they're laying you know, their head on their pillow, they're thinking, I need to think about that. Can I make sense of that within my worldview? I'm putting a stone in their shoe. And I also want to make them want to have a conversation. We said statistically, if someone leaves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it takes about seven years from the first time they start having doubts till they walk away. And we said maybe your conversation 10 in 100 conversations that ultimately that person is going to lead them, they're going to come to Jesus. You mean, you, they got to want to have the 11th conversation and the 12th and the 13th. So we've had plenty of conversations with people who said, the only interaction I've ever had with evangelicals had been when they shut the door in my face, when they told me I was going to hell, when it was just very bad inter- interaction, and they said, this was actually good. Now, we didn't agree on everything, but it made them want to have another conversation. So a lot of times when you think about, when you think about evangelism, when you think about you know, apologetics, you think about just destroying somebody, right? You think about war, and I'm going to win because I'm right and they're wrong. And you can do that because we have the truth on our side. You can do that. You can destroy somebody, you know, apologetically and evangelistically, and for what? What, do you, what have you accomplished? You've won an argument, you've made somebody look silly, and yet they're no closer to Jesus. In fact, they're probably further away from Jesus because now they don't want to have anything to do with you. So our goal is not to win an argument. We want to we introduce someone to Jesus. We want them to, 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 to find living water. And if our attitude and our demeanor and the way we have the conversation doesn't exhibit that, then we've failed. And so the ambassador model, think, if you were an ambassador for Christ, think about if you're, you know, if you're the American ambassador to Ethiopia, then that's the way you present yourself, the way you handle conversations, the way you talk, you are representing the United States. So we are ambassadors for Christ. We go out and we have these conversations with people. We are representing Jesus. A lot of people, you know, there's a a guy that I know who wrote a book called The Fifth Gospel, right? The Fifth Gospel meaning that the the, the gospel that most people will read first is you. Now, we could debate that theologically, but the point is you are the first interaction that somebody has with an evangelical. How are you handling yourself? What is your demeanor? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Or are you just trying to win an argument? What I like to say is if anyone gets angry in the conversation, you lose as a Christian. That means that's tough, right? If I get angry, I lose. And I've done that plenty of times. But if they get angry, I lose. Now, we want to, you have to be careful because sometimes we're pushing them and the stuff we're pushing them in is frustrating, but I have, to, I have to be reading their demeanor. And if they're getting frustrated, I have to know when to pull back and maybe that means I call the conversation. I, I, don't, I don't go any further because I can tell that their demeanor is such that they're getting agitated. I have to recognize that and know that it's okay to pull back because it's not, I'm not trying to win the whole person in one discussion. 
And I don't want to lose the opportunity to have a further discussion because I just want to ram this point down their throat. Remember, my goal in every conversation, put a stone in their shoe and to make them want to have another conversation. So Christian ambassadors, right, it's, it's about knowledge. This is why our systematic theology and taking notes, you know, when, when Lucas is, is preaching on, you know, through, through Corinthians, and, and we've just got this incredible opportunity here at Gospel Grace, but we're taking notes and we're digesting it because we want to be able to present that to other people when apply it to our own lives. So get some knowledge and character, right? You want to have a, a proper character about you, but, but wisdom is what we're going to talk about today, right? The, the artful method of having these conversations, and the tactical approach is simply this. I'm learning to use questions to advance a conversation as opposed to just preaching at people. Have you ever had an interaction with somebody that just talked to you and talked to you and talked to you for 30 minutes straight and you're just like, what do you, you know, it's just boring and you've checked out 10 minutes ago and you're not listening to them? That's how many of us sound when we're just wanting to just unleash every, you know, theological point on somebody in these conversations because we're not genuinely interested in them. And so the tactical approach allows me to advance a conversation, but I do it by asking questions. One of the things we always say is never make a statement when a, converse, when, when a question will do the same thing. That's really important. Never make a statement when a question will do the same thing. Because if I'm making a statement, what are you thinking, if, especially if we're, if we're disagreeing theologically? All you're doing is thinking what? How can I refute that? But if I ask you a question, what do you have to do? You have to defend your position. You have to talk. You have to do the thinking. And I promise you that that is more productive than me just chatting, just speaking to somebody. So we're not trying to make people look like fools either. I promise you this. Most people have not thought through, this would include most of us in this room, have not truly thought through what we believe and why we believe it. And if you have somebody that challenges you, even in a loving way, you can make them look foolish by exposing the fact they don't really know what they believe. That is not our goal. In fact, in many of my conversations, I'm trying to protect that person from looking foolish because I can tell immediately they don't know what they're talking about. So this, love, this again, this, you know, this beautiful couple that I was talking to at UVU, the guy and the girl, and I could tell he was trying to say the right things because he wanted, to, he wanted to show his girlfriend that he knew what he was talking about, and I could tell also he didn't really know what he was talking about. So I didn't really push him too hard because I was not trying to embarrass him. But I asked him a couple questions. Now, when he came back, he came back later by himself, and we were able to have a little bit of a deeper conversation. But if I would have just embarrassed him right there, I never would have spoken to him again and, you know, gave him my card, and hopefully we're going to talk further. So that's really important. Now, a lot of you, again, you might have reservations even on, I don't want to be contentious, I don't want to have these kind of conversations. But one of the things that we've got to learn how to do, we don't do well in this country, is to have conversations with people we disagree with. We just don't do that well. I mean, like we say on the college campus, the only thing we want to talk about is politics, religion, and moral issues. And we almost always are talking about that with people that we disagree with. And yet, almost to a T, we never have really bad conversations. We never have super contentious conversations because we're usually using these tactics. And for whatever reason, in our culture today, we've gotten this idea that if we don't agree on everything, we can't be friendly with each other. Well, if I want to meet somebody across the theological lines, I'm going to have to learn how to have conversations where we disagree on the most important things, but that we can still get a pizza afterwards, right? We can still be friends. We can still challenge each other, and they know that I love and I care for them. 
People will say you can't argue anybody in the kingdom. That's fine. Well, you can't love anybody in the kingdom either, right? <laughs> if God's going to do it, God's going to do it. So the problem with just saying I'm just going to love my LDS neighbor is there's a friend of mine, uh, Brett Kunkel, who wrote a book, The Ambassador's Guide to uh, Mormonism. Again, I'll give you a free copy of that too if you would let me have a conversation with you about our vision for ministry. But he tells a story about how he was talking to um, uh, an LDS guy. This was down actually in Utah County who had been part of an evangelical ministry for a couple years. And he asked that guy, he says, okay, well, how is it, has it been awkward for you being a part of this evangelical ministry, you know, it, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And he goes, the, this, the kid said no. He said, I'm more sure of what I believe and more convinced of what I believe after being here because I know that God loves me just the way that I am. Now, in one sense, you want to say, does God love you? Sure. But what has happened with that ministry is they've just loved on this person. They've never challenged what he believed. So they loved him, but now he's convinced that they believe the same thing. So look, God's, God's got his part and I've got my part. But what I'm challenged to do on my part from the scriptures is to preach the word, right? Proclaim the truth lovingly and then I leave the results up to God. But I actually have to have the courage to get up to bat, so to speak, and actually have those conversations. And so this is where the tactics come in. Um, at, why ask questions? If, if you talk to somebody for 30 minutes and they just ask you a bunch of questions about yourself, you're going to walk away thinking, that was the most interesting person I've ever talked to. Why? Because you talked about yourself the whole time and we're all egoists. So we just want to be like, man, that was awesome. I love that guy. Why? Because he just asked me about myself the whole time. So interested is interesting. If I'm asking them questions, I'm finding out about them. The other thing is we never want to make assumptions. I was talking to a guy one time. He says, give me, can you give me all the books on Hinduism that you have? And I was like, well, I don't have tons, but why? And he said, well, my friend's a Hindu, and I want to learn everything that he believes. And I said, you know how else you can find out what he believes? Ask him. You could just go to call, ask, well, ask him what he believes, because I promise you that just reading a bunch of texts, you could read uh, Mormonism 101, and then the first conversation you have with someone who doesn't believe any of that stuff. So we just, we, we want, I don't want to make assumptions. I, don't want, I want to ask them good questions or ways to help them know that I care about them. So we, now when I was a defense attorney, when we would cross-examine witnesses, I'm not just asking them random questions. What would what, you eat for lunch today? You know, I'm just not just, I'm asking them targeted questions because I want to advance the conversation, but I'm doing it with questions, not with statements. Again, never ask, never make a statement when a question will do the same thing. That's what we want to try to do, right? Because we'll get an education. We'll find out what they really believe, right? And it also puts us in the driver's seat, but in an inoffensive way. So we're going on the offensive, but we're just doing it by asking questions. And guess what? They're doing all the work. They are the ones that are thinking through what they believe. And like I said, most people have never really thought through what they believe and why they believe it. And asking them to defend their position, or even what they mean by it, will help them to see that. All right, so um, he, Greg Kogel uses the Columbo if you're over the age of 50. You know Columbo. If you're not, ask one of the older people around you. But basically, the, the Columbo question is just, there's just three questions, okay? The first is this. What do you mean by that? The goal is to gain as much information from the other person as you can before you move on. Do not assume. I'm, I'm of the opinion now, after having these, lots of these conversations, that 95% of our um, are misunderstanding with each other is because we have certain assumptions and they have certain assumptions and they're unstated and they're very different and so we're just talking past each other. Do not assume you know what the other person means. We're like, I don't want to ask a question. That's because that's our habit, our, our, our culture. We don't ask a lot of questions. Now, I ask way too many questions, right? Ask my wife. She's like, stop asking so many questions, right? Just listen to what I have to say, which is probably true. 
but I want to ask certain questions about what they believe. Now, here's with the LDS, we are using the same lexicon but a very different dictionary. With literally everything that, every word that matters, we have a different definition they do. If you talk to somebody who's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you say, well, you, you know, you believe in works and they believe, we believe in salvation by grace and faith alone, they'll say, no, we believe in salvation by grace and faith alone. And then you'll go, well, they lied to me, right? They just, okay, I guess we believe the same thing. The problem is salvation for them is a general salvation that's available to everybody through Jesus based on what he's accomplished for us on the cross. But their end goal is exaltation, is eternal life, is celestial kingdom. However, and you've got to keep asking, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So the question is, how do I attain eternal life? How do I attain the exaltation? That's the question. And for us, we would say we get that as a free gift by what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. For them, it's grace after all you can do. You see, but if I don't ask the questions, we're going to talk past each other. So what do you mean by that? You, and you have to ask that over and over and over. And again, you're like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What do you, I'm not saying do that. But I'm just saying generally, okay, hold on. Well, when you use that term, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? And you'll, you'll get an education, okay? Second question. So first question, what do you mean by that? Second question, how did you come to that conclusion? When I was a criminal defense attorney, the state would charge my client with a crime. And then they, they didn't just get to sit back and I had to prove my innocence, they had the burden of proof of proving my client guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And what happens is, in these kinds of conversations, someone will make a claim, the Bible's been mistranslated a thousand times, and you'll say, no, it hasn't, and then you'll just vomit all over the conversation for 30 minutes. Instead of just saying, how did you come to the conclusion that the Bible's been mistranslated? They made the claim, and what we do is we remove the burden from them by then taking ourselves to refute everything they say. That's not our job. If they had good information for that, wouldn't you want to know that? I would. So I'm asking them gently and lovingly and assuming they have reasons, how did you come to that conclusion? Now what you'll find, again, most of the time is that they haven't come to a conclusion. They're just saying things. They're just regurgitating things that they, they haven't. So again, we're not trying to make people look silly with this, but we're just asking people those kinds of questions. So the first question helps me understand how, what a person thinks. The second question helps me understand why they think the way that they do. That's really important. So just a couple of things, right? Um, the LDS, you know, God the Father is under the jurisdiction of a higher God who in turn has multiple gods above him. Now, some LDS do not believe that, so I've got to find out what they believe. But I want to ask them, number one, how did you come to that conclusion? And then they said, well, um, because of, I don't know, because it's in the Book of Mormon. It's not, that's fine, but it's in other teaching, D&C. Okay, how did you come to the conclusion that I should trust the D&C? Do you see, I'm asking them to defend their positions because I want to genuinely know if I should believe what they believe. And by, asking, by forcing them to defend their position, I'm actually making them think. I can continue to ask questions, and we'll talk about that here in a second with the third question. I can ask them a, a further question, have you considered? I think there's, a, there's what we call the infinite regress problem here. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. You can't have an infinite regress of men becoming gods who were served a previous god who served a previous god because it has to have a starting point. Right? God is the, the, the true God that exists is the uncaused first cause. He's the ground of all being. On the LDS worldview, they don't have that. All matter is eternal. God did not create out of nothing. They reject creation ex nihilo. 
but he organized existing matter when he formed the universe. How did you come to that conclusion? I'm interested. I think that's philosophically, metaphysically impossible, but I'm interested in how did you come to the, I wouldn't say that first, right? How did you come to the conclusion that that's true? I want that. Now, again, if it's just because that's what I've been taught, well, now we remember we talked about this. Well, is it possible that we've been taught wrong things? I mean, now we've, we've got some other room within the conversation where I can advance the conversation by asking more questions, but by asking them the questions, I'm learning more about what they believe and why they believe it, which helps me as a good listener. Most of the time in these conversations, we're not listening, we're just talking. So as a good listener, as, as the president of our ministry says, we've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. I want to listen to what they're saying and then ask good questions that rise from that. If you'll just do this, you can have amazing conversations with just these two questions. And then finally, let's say you've, you've got a little information. Let's say you've read some systematic theology. You've studied some of this before, and you've got some information. Then you can ask them the third question, which is, have you considered? So as an example, right, um, one of the teachings of the LDS Church is that man has the ability to become a god. And now, again, there's some, lots of people that don't believe that, and so there's debate within this. So again, what, you have to ask the person what they believe. But we'll say what Joseph Smith was teaching in the King Follett Discourse and rule over his own world, planet, whatever you want to say, just as Heavenly Father did. And this is what's called, and then you can have your family can be together forever. But I'll ask people, have you considered that if that's, let's say I, that works for me, so let's say I'm now a, a, a God over my own planet, and, but my daughter marries into another family, and he becomes a God of his planet. It's actually our families are not together forever. So the promise of eternal families actually breaks down. Now, there are plenty of answers to that. There's people that have tried to reconcile it. But for many people, they just never thought about the implications of that. And it comes when I say, have you considered the implications of this? Someone says the Bible is the word of God. This is from the eighth articles of faith, right, from the Pearl of Great Price. The Bible is the word of God as far as it's been translated correctly. Now, we'll look at this in a couple weeks. But my, if, if you've studied textual criticism, if you read some chapters in systematic theology or read an apologetics textbook, you will know that we can actually recreate the original text of the New Testament with 98, 99% accuracy, and there's not a single gospel, um, uh, there's not a single thing that we don't know that affects the gospel. Now, they've probably never heard that before. They've said it's like, they've been, heard, they've been told it's like the telephone game. Have you considered the science of textual criticism helps us to understand that we can recreate the original, and then maybe you can share that with them. I've done that with people, and they said, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. So just, just with those three questions, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion, and have you considered, you could talk to somebody. Now, this is not just for LDS. This is in every conversation. Um, this is for every, when I talk about moral issues with people. These are the conversations I'm having. When I'm talking about any, when I'm talking about politics, this is, how, this is the way I do it. Because I'm asking them questions and we're, it's not getting contentious. And again, if it is getting contentious, I'm recognizing that and I'm pulling back. Then how do we, so briefly as we finish, every, after every conversation, after I had the conversation with that cult group on campus, I was driving home and I was like, that was terrible. You failed miserably. That, don't do that again. And then I rested in my found you know, my identity in Jesus, which we'll talk about next week, right? So I blew it. And then I said, I'm going to get up to bat again. I'm, I reviewed it. I thought about it. And I said, how can I do better? So after every, I'm, I'm reviewing my conversations. Oh, I should have said this, or, oh, that's a good point. I need to think about that more. Maybe I need to research this point more. Or sometimes we'll, after we, when we have our students, when we do mission trips and we go out, we do evangelism, after every encounter, 
We debrief. How do we do? What can we do better? You know, let's, let's pray about it. Let's think about it. So we're always getting better in these conversations because our goal is to get up to bat again and again and again. And if we'll do that, we'll continue to get better at all these things. Now, in the book, there's way more. There's more of these. Uh, the taking the roof off tactic is the number one tactic I use when talking about uh, abortion. If you want to talk about that more, I'd love to chat with you. But again, if, if you just have just those three tactics, I promise you, your conversations will be so much better. And so, again, if you want to talk more about this, now, some of you indicated that you were interested in talking about the truth claims of Christianity. You know, I, e- I sent you an email. I'll follow up with you. If you just have questions about any of this stuff and you want to chat, I would love to talk to you. And again, I'd love to share with you the vision we have for ministry in Utah County. Maybe that means you want to support us financially. Maybe that means you want to move down to Utah County and help us start a church. All right, get up to bat again, right? So this is the, so some of you did it and it maybe it went good or bad, but all of you, here's an opportunity to get up to bat again. So all we're asking you is to have a conversation, one conversation this week with someone who believes something different than you on the religious issues. And then try to think about where, where they are, right? We're thinking about categories, what, what level they are from last week. And then use your tactics. Just ask questions. You don't have to get to the gospel. Just get up to bat. And then guess what? You can do it again and again and again. And if you have a chance, let me just last thing. If you have a chance to end a conversation with someone who's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, pray with them. We, did the, we were meeting with a student on Thursday, LDS guy. We got a chance to pray with them. It's powerful because we're praying to the God that we know, our Father, and they, that, that does something to them um, that is amazing. So just, if you get a chance at the end, just pray with them. So, all right, let me just, let me close this in prayer real quick. I know we're over time just a little bit. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that our identity, uh, for those of us who've put our faith and trust in you, Jesus, our identity is secure in you and not in how good we do in these conversations, but at the same time, Lord, we want to share living water with other people. So I just pray that you would just encourage all of us in this room to get up to bat, so to speak, with, a, with someone with a different religious position this week, that we just help us to have a conversation, help us to ask a few questions, help us to put a stone in their shoe, Lord. We want to see people come to the true saving gospel, Jesus. We want to see people come to you, and that means that we first have to tell them about you and share the gospel, and I pray, Lord, that we would all be encouraged this week to do that and then come back here next week ready to share with our experiences. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.